So this is the last week of Acts. I hope that you have enjoyed the book as much as I have and gotten at least half as much as out of it as I have. It's been a neat journey to look at the early church and how they did church, how they did things, how they wrestled through conflict, how they preached the gospel, how they prayed and healed, how they organized their church, the, the spiritual supervision that was there. We're going to read the last chapter or parts of the last chapter, Acts 28, and some would suggest that Acts ends on kind of a low note. I mean, after all, Paul, we, we see and we leave Paul, and ultimately, he is under house arrest. That's kind of a bummer, right? But I would like to suggest that instead, really what we see is Acts ending on a high note, that even though Paul is under house arrest, God redeems that situation and really, Paul is in his sweet spot of ministry, I would argue. We'll see if you agree with me. And I want to ask you this question this morning. When was the last time that you were in a circumstance that was really difficult and challenging, and you were struggling, and you couldn't get out? You, you, you knew that you had to wrestle through, that you didn't have any options. Maybe it's a, a job or even a career, and you feel stuck. There's a difficulty, or there's a struggle, you're crying out. Or maybe it's a relationship, a relationship that you've had that you don't feel like you can get out, maybe with a child, with a parent, maybe even a marriage, you, you feel stuck in that circumstance. And you know the right thing to do is to fight for it, but it's hard, it's difficult, it's a struggle. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's a circumstance that you heard the word something like cancer or some other diagnosis, and it's this difficult Place. I think Acts chapter 8 has something, 28, has something to teach us about cooperating with God and allowing him to redeem those really difficult circumstances. I've shared before of a good friend of Kendra and I's, uh, we'll call her Rachel, and Rachel was convicted of a white-collar crime. So she um, eventually had to cop a plea, as they say, and um, even though she didn't believe that she was doing the things that she was accused of, that she was uh, strongly encouraged to do a lesser degree, so, and she ultimately was sent to a federal penitentiary. In fact, the same one, Alderson, West Virginia, that Martha Stewart was sent to. All right, some of you are familiar with that story where Martha Stewart went to. So she was a little bit after Martha Stewart's time. Recent, I was watching after Martha Stewart had gotten out and she was uh, being interviewed. And the interviewer said, now, you know, you, you went to this federal penitentiary. It was a time of personal reflection. And it was at a time where you found some good in that. And Martha Stewart said, absolutely not. Nothing good from 
that experience. Some of you might have seen that. Said, no, really, was there, was there, you know, bringing God was working? No. Well, weren't you, did you discover how strong, I already knew how strong I was. No, there was nothing good about that experience. It's interesting, my friend Rachel went to the very same federal penitentiary, but her experience was vastly different. It was just as hard. It was just as much a struggle. It was just as demeaning in many ways, to be quite honest with you. And yet my friend, our friend Rachel, found a way to experience God even in that what some would call a God-forsaken place. She went in as a committed Christian, but you know, before she left that place, she recommitted in a deeper way to both God and his church. And in fact, our friend Rachel, she got involved in a program that would shorten her sentence that led her in dealing with some of her own emotions and circumstances and struggle. And then she became a leader in that program. She actually co-wrote uh, some curriculum for incoming prisoners, uh, inmates, right? That they were all filled with shock and dismay and fear. And they would go through and she co-led a class. She said there were tears every week at this class as people were processing. She became a, a mediator, which she said was pretty dangerous sometimes when, when you're trying to do that. that. That she made a difference in that place. And I'm sure that our friend Rachel, she would never want to repeat this experience. She would never wish this on her worst enemy. And yet I think she would agree that she has been changed for the good by God in the midst of this difficult circumstance. As I mentioned in chapter 28, Paul is in house arrest. In fact, the last several chapters that we've been seeing in Acts is where Paul feels a call, you could call them two epicenters of culture in Paul's day. He longed to go to Jerusalem and then to Rome. That was his desire. And in fact, many of the churches were like, no, 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 both of those places, places very dangerous, don't go. In fact, you had some folks giving prophetic words like, Paul, don't go. We see you in bondage. And Paul is like, no, I, I, I believe God is calling me there. He goes to Jerusalem, and in fact, there's a riot that starts, and, he's, and um, they want to stone him and kill him. And he's, he's arrested by the Roman guard, which really saves his life, probably. And then he spends literally years in custody, right? So they're debating, the, the religious leaders want him dead, want him stoned. The Roman leaders are trying to figure out what's happening. They're passing him from different leaders. We saw him with King Agrippa last week with Pastor Jed. So finally, Paul, he appeals to Caesar, which leads from Caesarea. He's going to get on a ship, and he's going to uh, uh, sail towards Rome. But wouldn't you know it, a ferocious storm comes and they're shipwrecked on this little island, Malta. And that's where 
Acts 28 picks up the story. 27 is the shipwreck, right? They think they're going to die. They hit the island, and starting at verse 1, it says, Once, safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and he put it on the fire. A viper, a snake, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up and suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, to him, said he was a god. That's quite a shift in their perspective of Paul, murderer to a god. Yeah. Verse 7, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hand on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways and when we were all ready to set sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Let's pause for a moment and make some observations here. I love how in the snake story, the viper story, um, Luke, who's the author of Acts, he writes a little bit of the islanders' response. They know the island, right? They know the snakes. They know what happens when unfortunately a snake fastens in on a hand, right? I wonder if there was a teenager that was like, ooh, come here, yeah, dude, watch this. He's going to swell up. It's going to be awesome, right? right? They were, like, Luke shares the islander's perspective of what's happening. And yet, what does Paul do? He shakes it off. He shakes it off. I wonder if Taylor Swift read that while she was writing that. So I highly doubt it, really, that there. But so the question I had is, what enabled Paul? What perspective did he have that rather than go, hey, hey, is this po poisonous? What? I what? God? Why? Just you from the ship, and I'm a, now I'm gonna help. What? enabled Paul to have such a different perspective that he could just shake off this hard and difficult and painful circumstance. Okay, I'm hungry, famished. Anyone have anything? Right? Nothing. I want to suggest that perhaps 
what Paul had. The perspective that he had was an unwavering confidence in the providence of God. That he knew that God had a call on his life. He knew that God was moving and directing his very life. Perhaps that's why he was not afraid or was so courageous. When people were telling him, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Rome, and he's like, no, 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 God's got this. In fact, we see in the previous chapter when, when the storm is happening and, and the ship is, all the sailors think they're going down. This is over. We're, we're, we're done with. Listen to what Paul says. This comes from the previous chapter, verse 22. It says this. Paul is speaking to the sailors in the midst of the storm and he says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am, I love that phrase, an angel of the God of whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. It doesn't mean we don't take appropriate action in circumstances, but it means we trust in God's purposes and plans. We trust in God's providence in our lives that when a difficult circumstance is weighing in, even a life-threatening circumstance, that we turn to God's providence and say, as Paul models here, God, God I trust you that my life is in your hands. You see, Paul not only had a plan and a purpose in Paul's life. God had a plan and purpose in Paul's life. I want to suggest that according to Scripture, if you are a follower of Christ Jesus, he has a plan and purpose for your life. He has a destiny for your life. He is at work in your life to fulfill Whatever that is, in, in whatever area, whatever career, whatever ministry, whatever calling, whatever thing that, that really breaks your heart and you want to press in, that God, that nothing is going to happen to you that is outside of the providence of God's will. Amen? Listen to Job. He had some bad things happen to him, yes? He had some difficult circumstances arrive, and he says this. He says to God, you gave me life. You showed me kindness, and in your providence watched over my spirit. God's providence is, is protection, is provision, is plans and purpose. That's a theme of 
scripture, that's the psalmists that are saying, God, I, I trust that you watch over those who are seeking to do your will. Perhaps that's why Job never broke and didn't, never renounced God. He trusted, even though in this difficult circumstance, he was trusting in God's providence for him. So I want to ask you this morning, is there a difficult circumstance, a, a disappointment, a setback, a struggle that rather than wallow in fear and anxiety, you need to shake it off, right? Take Taylor Swift's advice or, or biblical advice. Shake it off because of God's providence. Say, God, I... Man, this is hard, God. In my personal life, I'd have to say there was part of God's purpose. I believed that God had a plan and a purpose in my life. I believe he still does. I'm still on that plan and purpose to preach the kingdom and the king. And yet, as I was going through the most painful and difficult experience of my life, divorce, and after fighting and realizing I had no control, I, I couldn't exact, I couldn't change what was happening as, as hard as I tried, right? And I thought, well, there's a good chance that I'm going to need to step away. Either I'm going to decide to do that for a time or will be asked by that. And I, I was okay, and I, I said, God, I don't know how this works. I don't know what that means. I don't know if, I'm, if I, I, I need to work another job that's not my call for five years or even 10 years, but this, I'm gonna trust you. I, I'm gonna trust that, that in your providence, you shared with me a little glimpse of my purpose. And this hurts. And honestly, Lord, I really wish you wouldn't allow so much pain. But I'm going to trust you in this. Is there a circumstance in your life? Again, diagnosis, a relationship, a job. That you say, it's hard, but God, I'm going to trust you. Your providence. You have said you have plans and purposes for me. You have said you watch over those who seek you. You have said you will guide. You've promised to guide me. I'm going to trust you in this. Paul shakes it off. I think we get to shake some things off. Unlike the world does. All right, let's keep reading. We're going to pick up the story in Acts 14, the last part. So what's going to happen is they're in Malta, an island, and then they're going to catch a ship to the peninsula, right? They're heading towards Rome, and they're going to travel up uh, towards Rome, and then the end of 14, they actually finally arrive at Rome. And it says, and so we came to Rome, verse 15, the brothers and the sisters there in Rome had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. So they're meeting Paul. They know Paul. They've heard of Paul. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. 
when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So we see Paul in house arrest. Now, I read that, and I was thinking about how Paul does something that is so contrary to how many Christians handle difficult circumstances. I don't know if you caught that in those those few verses, but in disappointing and confusing circumstances, oftentimes what Christians do, I've seen it again and again, I've seen it with my own friends and my own family, I have temptation to do it myself, is that when you're struggling and in in a difficult place, we pull away from community. We pull away from sacred friends. You've seen that, haven't you, sometimes? Shaken. That, that the folks that most need the encouragement and the blessing of sacred friends and sacred community, they're like, no, no, no. You know what? I, I, I just need to be out. I, I just need to be done. In fact, our friend Rachel prior to going to the federal penitentiary, she experienced a divorce, and that's what she did. I wouldn't say that she pulled away from the faith. I don't think she would articulate it that way, that she stopped believing in Christ or God, but in that painful and difficult moment, maybe you, she would say her faith broke, her faith was put on hold. She just, it didn't make sense. God didn't make sense in that moment. It seemed like he was inactive. If anyone is fighting for their marriage and oftentimes it can feel like God is inactive. And she said, I, I think I need to step back for a moment. Paul models something different for us. Paul, he could have been like, God, a shipwreck? (laughs) I was stoned earlier and not the good way, the bad way I was stoned. Now a viper, a snake, how symbolic of that is the enemy? He's like, God, come on, would you? Yeah, you know what? Hey, hey, Roman Christians, thanks for coming, but I just need a little bit of personal time, okay? He doesn't do that. In fact, what he does, it's so neat. I think that Luke includes this. It says, at the sight of these people, these Christians, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. He allowed, even though he's got chains on, even though he's under house arrest, he sees community and he thanks God. And in fact, we know from other places in his in the epistles, that um, he relied tremendously on community that started the churches and the leaders. Like we have evidence of, uh, of, of Timothy and Mark and Luke. They traveled and supported him in house arrest. And he, and he speaks in his epistles how valuable the support of other Christians is to him in that moment. In fact, in Philippians, the, uh, the church in Philippi heard of Paul's house arrest and they sent 
financial resources and encouragement. We have that that's, um, scripture. Uh, where is it? Do we have that up there, Kate? Uh, let's see. Here we go. I have received full payment and have more than enough from the Christians in Philippi. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. That was Philippians 4.18. Yeah. Paul is saying, these people, that you have meant so much to me. He's pressing into community. He's being encouraged and blessed by community. Paul may have written Hebrews. You heard from me a couple of uh, weeks ago. I think it was Apollos. Listen to what Apollos or Paul writes in Hebrews. This is Hebrews 10.24. says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Do not giving up, give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's as if Apollos or Paul knew that was our tendency. When, when we face difficulty or, or, or are, are persecuted in any way, that was the early church or, or whatever that is, we tend to pull away from community. Can I suggest that's one of the key strategies of the enemy of our soul. That when we're struggling, he inv- he, he's trying to really sow that temptation and say, you know what, I don't want to be around people. I don't want to be around God's people. In fact, I'm not sure I want to be around this God thing, this Christianity, because it's hard. That's the enemy speaking. That's not the Spirit of God speaking. So let me ask you this. Is there a disappointment or a struggle? Is there something pressing on you right now? Your faith, that, that's, it's troubling you and you simply want to avoid talking about it. You want to hide it. You want to cover it up. You certainly don't want to share it with a sacred friend because it's hard. I would suggest that's not the healthy way to handle that difficulty. That's not the right way. The the, the right way is this invitation. He's saying, no, no, no. I've, I've not called you to be long ranger Christians. I've not called you to do this faith by yourself. I've called you into a community. I've called you. Yes, it can be hard. Yes, sometimes it's iron sharpening iron. Yes, sometimes your sacred friends, your sacred community is gonna disappoint and hurt. Don't pull away. I'll teach you. I'll grow you. I'll learn you. I'll minister to you. In community. Paul models this in a beautiful way. In fact, I would say community is a key aspect of how the Father wants to redeem our difficult circumstances. In fact, I'm convinced that sometimes he allows difficult circumstances to press us deeper into community 
rather than pull us out. Yes? All right. Let's finish. We're going to jump a little bit. Um, So what Paul does is Paul would normally, in a new city, he would go to the synagogues we've seen in Acts, and he'd uh, witness, share the gospel with the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders. Then he'd go to the marketplace for Gentiles. He can't do that. He's under a house arrest. So what does he do? He invites everybody to come to him, and they come, right? And so he, in fact, we're told, look at verse 17, three days later, it only took him three days, he called together the local Jewish leaders, and he shares with them his ministry, who he is, and the gospel. We're going to, it's a, it's a a pretty long read, so I'm going to jump down to, where's the verse that I want here? Um... We're going to go to verse 23. Look at verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said, through Isaiah the prophet, and he quotes Isaiah 6, Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they, are clo- and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. God's heart inviting the Jewish religious leaders. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Now here's the final two verses of the book of Acts. I love these two verses. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. I don't think Acts ends on a low note. I think, in fact, it ends on a high note. Paul had faced so much. He had been through so much. The the enemy had fought against the ministry of Paul. And now, though he's in house arrest, under house arrest, he is now sharing the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ without hindrance, in all boldness. He's doing what God had purposed him to do. We are told that um, he eventually would be released. But before he was released, um, he would write many of the New Testament epistles that we have. That he would write, they call them uh, prison 
prison epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon. He wrote all of those letters while he was under house arrest. I think what Paul is doing here is in the midst of difficult and challenging circumstances, he finds a way to continue to minister, to continue to live the purposes and the plans that God has for him. Um, Listen to what he says, again, this is in Philippians, that he's under house arrest, and he talks about his ministry to, uh, to the palace guard. It says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Right? So he's like, well, I guess I can't do what God's called me to do while I'm under house arrest. No, he says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He's saying, my presence here at the palace guard is having an impact here. He was writing, he was working, he's doing ministry even in the midst. I want to suggest that sometimes when we face a difficult circumstance, we put ministry on hold. We step away from what we think God is calling. Oh, I, I, I thought he was calling me to do this, but apparently not because I, I'm wrestling under this, so I'm going to step out. Again, if I can just return to my personal experience one more time, really prayed about, Lord, do you want me to pause or, or just change ministry in, in a different way? And actually what I I felt like he was saying is, I want you to be stable. I want you to keep doing the things I've called you to do every day. God, what about my kids? Be stable for them. Keep doing the right thing every day. And trust me, super hard, really difficult. And yet, it enabled me to say, okay, I don't get the big picture. I have no idea what you're doing. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. And yet, I get to try and do the right thing today. I get to minister God's love in whatever way today. I get to love today. I get to forgive today. I get to serve today. I think the Apostle Paul ends in his sweet spot because his ministry didn't look exactly like it did through the whole rest of the book of Acts, right? Going to synagogues, going to the marketplace. But he improvises and he saw God work. I was thinking a little bit about us today in this pandemic right, where uh, ministry is just weird right now. It's just unexpected. And maybe there's a, a ministry that some other leaders and some other churches have 
Some, some Christian leaders are saying, hey, this is our First Amendment rights. We shouldn't be doing this. And maybe that's their calling. I'm not judging them. That's just not my calling. I, I didn't think first and foremost about our First Amendment rights. What I thought about was Romans 13. Obey the civil authorities. God has placed them above you. Now, I do believe that we're called to, at times, civil, biblical disobedience. Yes? That if, if the civil authorities are asking me to do something that compromises my integrity, that's the time that I'm called to say no. But I didn't perceive this circumstance like that. I perceived it as a circumstance of improvising a bit and saying, okay, well, we can't do church normally. What does God have for us? You know, uh, we were talking as leaders, maybe sometime during 2020, we want to figure out a live stream thing. But let's put that a little bit back. We'll figure that out later. All of a sudden, <laughs> that is all we had, right? And now we have people from across the country, a few outside of the country, that are here with us in spirit in a certain sense. Isn't that cool? Isn't that an improvisation? Isn't that a neat thing? In fact, Rachel, our friend who I shared, I, I texted her and said, I'm sharing a little bit of your story. I'm sure she's watching. Hi, Rachel. That's not actually her name, but she knows I was going to call her Rachel. All right? Isn't that neat? Did you know that I feel like our community of faith has grown? That we have people that have connected with the ministry of SCC and now they're being ministered to. Even though we don't get to spend time with them, they're being ministered. Boy, that's, how neat is that? I don't quite understand why, but financially, we're in a better place today at this time of the year in 2020 than we were in 2019. That's, that's kind of weird, right? Now, don't stop giving because I said that, right? <laughs> but that's a, that's a beautiful thing. You know, I've been able to write a little bit and reflect a little bit. And we have new security guards here. That is also a blessing. You wanted some credit, right, Ryan? That's there, right? But there's these silver linings. So again, would you think about this? In so many ways, the book of Acts and the leaders in the early church have been modeling us how we get to live these different kind of lives. We get to live not as the world has modeled for us, but we get to see them and say, oh, that's how they handled that difficult situation. This is how they cooperated with God to redeem. This is how they modeled a faith and a trust and a hope, even though they were facing far worse circumstances than any pandemic, right? Than, than anything that we, we can get overwhelmed like our country is falling apart, right? And yet they were being persecuted actively, like their leaders, their lives were being taken actively and yet 
they saw God working redemption and hope and faith and healing. How beautiful would it be if coming out of this pandemic and someday by the grace of God we will be out and not wearing masks, right? And we'll have all the people gathered here and our live stream continuing. But how beautiful would it be if after this pandemic Springs Community Church looked just a little bit more like the early church, like the church in the book of Acts. If your life looked just a little bit more like those early believers that, that trusted God no matter what, that pressed into community, that saw the Spirit of God healing and restoring, that saw him witnessing in powerful and significant ways, regardless of what is happening in the world around us. Wouldn't it be worth it? Wouldn't that be worth it if, if we looked a little bit more like Jesus? Would you pray with me? Would you just take a moment to think about our journey in Acts, and it could be today, and if there is one way in which you remember a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was dealing with conflict, maybe it was the work of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was last week on evangelism and being empowered to, to share the faith. What's the way that you'd like to look a little bit more like Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you, would you come? Would you fill us? Would you guide our thoughts?